Well, this morning we're actually starting our series in the book of Joshua. If you've been with us for the last couple weeks, you would note that two weeks ago we introduced the book of Joshua from the New Testament, using Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 10 that we would see the examples laid out in the Old Testament and we'd learn from them. Paul puts before us that we would see the temptations to seek idolatry and that we would see the outcomes that come from choosing idolatry. Paul points to Israel during the Exodus as the example in 1 Corinthians 10. Very fitting for us to know and to appreciate the New Testament affirms studying the Old Testament that we would see God and that we would see Him consistently through the Scriptures. Last week, we introduced the book of Joshua from an Old Testament perspective. We started in the story of creation in Genesis 1, walking through the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the establishment of God's chosen people, who then became slaves in Egypt until God heard their cries and raised up a deliverer in Moses, who would stand before Pharaoh to declare, let my people go. And through a series of plagues, Pharaoh finally released God's people and they began a journey into the promised land. Now that's four sentences summarizing the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you weren't here last week, I'd suggest listening to it. If that wasn't enough, you could read it. It's all there for you. Uh, It'll just take you a little bit longer than the 29 minutes I spent last week. So this morning we are opening up the sixth book of the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Now as we lean into that this morning, I should point out to you that I can't think of too many times that I've preached a three-point message here at Calvary. Mostly because as you study Scripture, rarely does the Scripture clearly and cleanly come out into three points. Uh, we, we value God's Word here. We preach God's Word. We're always going to use it as the, the meat of what we communicate. And this morning's text, we get three clean points. It makes it fun for a pastor to go, huh, three. All right. Joshua 1 will give us three, so we'll follow along. Joshua 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm gonna, that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. This book begins with remembering the death of Moses. It looks back on Deuteronomy 34, and it gives you the call of Joshua. For as far back as Exodus 17, God himself had chosen Joshua to be Moses' successor. Joshua, who was originally named Hosea, meaning salvation, is renamed in Numbers 13. Moses gives him a new name, a more specific name, more than just salvation. He calls him Joshua, meaning Jehovah is your salvation. Meaning it would be God that would lead them, God that would save them. And so now this Joshua is called to lead God's chosen people into the promised land. You might remember, we alluded to it last week, that Joshua had been here once before. Joshua had been one of the spies sent in Numbers 13. Ten came back saying, there's no way we can go into the land. The people are too big. Only Caleb and Joshua believed they should go. And this is what Joshua says in Numbers 14. 
The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. It's good. But this is the more important part. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and, and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. If you follow the, the reports of the two people, there's a huge distinction between the other ten spies saying, we can't do it, versus Joshua saying, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us, he will give it to us. A land flowing with milk and honey, verse 9 Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So before we can press further into Joshua, I need to put one enormously huge character quality before you, something that was extraordinarily true about Joshua, that I'd like us to make it extraordinary. Joshua took God at his word. Joshua trusted God's promises. Look at verse 9. His fear was not the people. His fear was disobedience. It's an entirely different perspective. His fear was not the people. His fear was disobedience. Such that Joshua believed that God would keep his promises throughout generations, throughout unfaithfulness, throughout even the death of leaders. Joshua believed that God was going to lead the people from slavery and from bondage and take them into the promised land. And it's extraordinary. Now that's not one of your three points, that's a bonus point. I get a bonus point here and there. Because in the next four verses, what God is going to do is bring us to the first our first point, calling. That God had an extraordinary call for Joshua, and I want to put that before you, and then I want to put before you your calling, because it parallels into the New Testament. This is what God says, verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Is that a promise? Absolutely. Absolutely. God says, everything this touches will be yours. Literally. This is what he's putting before Joshua. Every place the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward going down on the, going down of the sun shall be your territory. He marks it out geographically. No man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua is being called to something greater. And I want you to pay attention to the words that God uses with Joshua because they're very meaningful. Verse 2 to 4, God reiterates the standing of a promise of the land. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given to you. He promises his presence in to Joshua in verse 5. I will be with you. You will not be alone. 
In verse 6, I will keep my word, saying, these people will inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. I'm trustworthy. Friends, think about, consider the verbs that you see. The land that I have given to them, verse 2. I have given to you, verse 3. You shall cause this people to inherit the land. Friends, if you pay attention to the language of Scripture, you will see in Joshua an extraordinary truth. And this is what it is. I've already given you the land. I've already done the work for you. I've already mapped it out ahead of you. The land is yours. Now, all that's left for you is to step out in obedience and in faith claim it. And in the book of Joshua, the land was a literal place that he was literally calling them to. It was a literal place he was literally calling them to. And in the New Testament, God also has a calling for you. Calling you not to inherit a physical realm or a physical reality, but a spiritual one. We're going to play off this parallel a lot in the book of Joshua. God's not calling you to a physical land. He's calling you to a spiritual place. The calling not to be content. The calling not to become something, but to be the thing you've already, that he has already accomplished. Let me put this before you. Ephesians 1 is full of callings and promises. Here are a couple. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Do you see that you have every spiritual blessing? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to seek it. You don't have to go to school for it. It's been declared. It's true. Verse 4, do you see that if you're in Christ, you have been chosen? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to seek it. You don't have to go to school for it. It's true. You have every spiritual blessing and you have been chosen. These are factual realities. And these are factual realities that point to something. Because of the nature of who God has declared you to be. This is the full spectrum we walk through in sanctification, right? When we walk through the whole series. That there are indicatives and there are imperatives. That there are things that God has declared to be true about you. And if you've got a hope or a shot at an imperative, if you want to obey God, it's only going to stand on you rightly believing in who you are in Jesus Christ. That's why in our vision statement, in Christ is so important. We're building a community in Christ. For if you are not established in Christ, you're hopeless. If you're not built up in Christ, you're hopeless. If you don't have a firm grasp or understanding of what it is that Jesus Christ has declared true about you, 
if you can't get a firm grasp on that, you're really going to struggle with other stuff. These are facts. And so out of those facts, Paul writes to the Ephesians, you should be holy and blameless. There's nothing more than just believing the word of God here. Believing the word of God, taking God at his word, and living like it's true. Because somewhere in here, if we really in our souls start buying into the idea that God has already given me every spiritual blessing, I lack nothing spiritually. And he chose me, he wants me, he desires me, he's got a plan for me. That changes everything when we let that soak into our souls. Because now it's not, i got to get better, i got to clean up my act. It, it changes our whole perspective of following Christ. We live out what he's already declared about us. So let me ask you this. Do you take God at his word? Do you believe him when he says these things? It's an extraordinarily crucial question. Because this comes to the nature of have you accepted your calling? See, in the New Testament, we want to make all these Ideas about what calling means. Is God calling me to this? Is God calling you to that? And what you find in scriptures is God calls you into Him. That's the calling you find in the New Testament. We are called into Christ. That's the fullness of your calling. Being in Christ. He takes care of the other details. So what does that look like? How do we live that out? Well, I'm glad you ask. It'll bring us to our second point. Because God doesn't just give us a calling, he also gives us an alignment. Have you ever been driving down the road? This happened to me last summer. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden your car starts pulling one direction. Maybe it pulls this way. I, I realized for a long time in my suburban, I kind of had to drive like this. Otherwise, we're constantly going right. It's because my car needed an alignment. That's what it's called. In fact, I googled alignments this week, and let me just give you the symptoms of needing a physical alignment. Your vehicle pulls to the left or the right. It did that. Uneven or rapid tire wear. You're wearing out in odd directions. Your steering wheel is crooked when you're driving straight. Driving this way, you're going that way, it's a problem. Squealing tires. Now this might sound like some of our cars, but if we pay attention, it might sound like our souls. What God does here in Joshua is he calls him. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe who I say you are. I want you to step into the fullness of what I've already declared about you, and I want you to align yourself to me. He gives a spiritual alignment in verse 7. Listen to this. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you might have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. Are you aligned to the Father? Or are you always pulling to the right or the left? Are you spiritually exhausted and wearing out in uneven places? Are your spiritual tires squealing? Because as God calls Joshua and leads his to lead the people into the promised land, Joshua has to take stock of himself and then lead his people. And God tells him, be strong and courageous. And by the way, that's not a pep talk. That's a command. It's a strange command to us. I get that. We, we want to think he's always being encouraging. Yeah, you'll be strong. Go for it. You'll be great. No, God says be strong and courageous. And what God means by that in this moment is I'm calling you to be obedient and it's going to be really tough. And there's going to be some really awkward moments in that. You're really going to have to like gird up your loins and act like a man, but get it done. Have you ever thought about some of these moments? Just for a moment, I want you to picture Moses standing before the Red Sea when God says, raise up your staff and I'll part the waters. It's a fascinating moment. Because you got to think there's at least a glimmer in Moses' mind going, I pick up a stick and you do what? This is a bad plan. What happens if I pick up the stick and nothing happens? I mean, won't the people catch on to the fact that I'm a total fraud? I mean, I, I lift the stick and you do what? There's an extraordinary amount of faith in the lifting of the stick. To go, Lord, it's going to make a lot of sense, but man, we're going with it. We're going for it. We're, we want to see what you're going to do here. I'm believing in you. This is all in on you. My pride is not here. We see the same story in John 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda who's healed. Jesus walks up to this paralytic and says, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he's gonna, with a plan to heal this guy. But what does he say to him? Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, if you've ever thought through that moment, that guy could have laid there totally healed for another 30 years. God could heal a man and we could lay there paralyzed and be like, well, I'm a little looser, but I've always been here. This is a comfortable place for me. Have you thought about how awkward it is for that guy to go, wait, what? Stand up? I haven't done that in at least 30 years. You you want me to lean forward? There's an extraordinary amount of faith that's required when God says, this is true, and I want you to walk it out. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's strange. God says, be strong and courageous. And God says, obey my commandments. In fact, God says, be careful to obey all that I've commanded you. Because if you do, 
verse 7, you will have success. And if you do, verse 8, you will be prosperous. Now we have to pause for just a second to put a couple caveats on this. Because we have to be careful because we're in the Old Testament, not the New. So let's clarify quickly exactly what this is talking about and what it's not talking about. Because first, what this is not saying is that by following a set of rules, you become a Christian. Right? There's, the whole New Testament would absolutely negate that idea. No, you become a believer in Jesus Christ by believing in Jesus Christ. By believing in the complete sufficiency of His death and His resurrection to pay the penalty due for your sin. And that by believing in Him, you are completely justified. Meaning that when you believe in Him, God looks at you as if you've done nothing wrong, only accomplished by your belief, not your works, not your actions. That's the nature of the gospel. Every week when we walk through our sanctification series, we put that before you. That if you're here with us and you're an unbeliever, you don't just get to claim the promises of God. You have to believe for this to be true of you. And yet there's another truth here too. Because oftentimes you find God's promises paralleled quickly with God's commands. And we want this, but we want nothing to do with that. I want this. I want to feel blessed. I want to feel happy. I want to feel encouraged. I want to feel great about life. I have to do what? No thanks. God says, be careful to obey all that I've commanded you. Will that save you? No. This is not talking about salvation. This is not talking about earning God's favor or earning God's merit as if you could do that. This is talking about that as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is calling you to something deeper, and the path for that is obedience. He says, you will find that your path will be successful. You will find that your path will be prosperous. How do you get a spiritually successful and prosperous life? Seek obedience. Secondly, we must say this. That by obeying the laws and the commands and meditating on his word day and night, this is not a physical reality that's putting before you. God is not promising to make you a financially successful person. That in this text, The success that Joshua has pointed to is physical, no question about it. But there are those who would claim that by your obedience to him, he wants to make you wealthy. And i got to tell you that the entire New Testament completely negates that idea. And to be really fair, I don't see how anyone who actually reads the Bible could come up with that perspective without seriously warping the text. And yet it does need to be said because there's a whole place in here where trusting Jesus actually calls you out towards being challenged more. Read the book of Job. Actually trusting Jesus, stepping into the faith, actually opens you up for more trials, for more tribulations. There's nothing about the Christian life when you step into trusting Jesus that gets simple, easy, and blessed. 
except you're not alone. Except it all has an eternal purpose. Except God is doing something extraordinary, putting you on display to show his perfect patience. Throughout the book of Joshua, we repeatedly point to Ephesians 6.12 because it's going to make the difference between your walk and Joshua's more apparent. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Joshua did. You don't. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about what that looks like practically. But your fight is not a physical one. Your fight is a spiritual one. And your fight is for obedience. Which is to say this, that when you make a plan to read your Bible more and you stink at it, welcome to the club. It's not just your laziness. It's not just your passivity, although that's probably part of it. Some of it is to recognize that there's an actual spiritual force that's trying to keep you out of this book. Like there is a war against you spiritually growing. And we don't always cue into that. We just think, why am I not? There's a lot of things I should be doing more. In fact, I was rereading some things that I wrote over the last couple of years, and I found that every single year at the end of the year, I'm discouraged at how little I read the Bible of the previous year. I like set out at the beginning, I'm going to, I'm going to dig in more this year. And every year I end the year, I didn't dig in as much as I thought I would. But you know the interesting thing about that is this year, I dug in far more than I did last year. And last year, I dug in far more than I did the year before that. Like, we don't grow in minutes. We grow in years. So it's a process of submitting ourselves regularly to the Scripture that God uses to grow us up. Because we're at war, and in a spiritual war, and we have to fight for obedience. What this text would say to you is your willingness to align yourself with him will grant you spiritual success and spiritual prosperity. Meaning this, that you will walk into a deeper and a more intimate relationship with Christ. Meaning this, that you'll come to a greater and greater understanding that you are not ever, ever alone. This morning I was reading in Isaiah and I teared up. Because there's a promise that it never occurred to me. God says in Isaiah 41 at the end, and I will hold your right hand. I was like, really? You're going to hold my hand? Like you're walking with me through this stuff? Like I'm not alone? You're literally going to hold my right hand with me. Like that's amazing. I'm not alone. These are the promises that God puts before Joshua that we're called to believe. That we're called to walk through in obedience. Friends, this issue of alignment that God puts before Joshua was God's plan for Joshua to carry out his calling. And just as you've received a calling, you've received an alignment. This is what it says to you, New Testament. Only be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to do according to all that Jesus has commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you grow, that I might grow you up. This book of the law, my Bible, shall not depart from your mouth. That's a command, by the way. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Friends, if you'll allow me to be quite direct, if you don't spend time in this book, you will always be spiritually misaligned. If you don't spend time in this book, you will always be spiritually frustrated. If you don't spend time in this book, you will always be spiritually malnourished and you will always be spiritually misguided and you will never be spiritually prosperous. The Word of God promises that of you. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus in John 14, 15. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Often find when talking to people, I ask people, hey, do you know Jesus? People always say, oh, I love the Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. The true love of Jesus is obeying his words. Not just saying, I love you. It's obedience. If you love me, you'll obey what I ask you to do. You will be aligned to me. Joshua gives us calling and he gives us an alignment. And the calling and the alignment point to obedience. Look at what Joshua does next. Verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you're going to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. We're going forward. He's believing God. He's trusting the promises. Knowing full well what's in the land, but knowing that God had called him to go. He aligned himself with God's word. And to the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. 14. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and you shall possess it the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. What you see in Joshua is having stepped out in faith, having believed what God said was true, having aligned himself to God, he trusted and he obeyed. And he starts to take the nation of Israel, some 1.8 million people, into the promised land, trusting the promises of God. I think there could be some heaviness in us right now. I think there could be some weightiness in us. Because all week long I'd known, praying through what I had to share with us, that there is for sure a a calling and there's a confession and there's a move towards obedience. But knowing full well, we'll all struggle with that, right? 
I want you to watch the nation of Israel. Because it doesn't get us totally off the hook, but it helps us. It's encouraging. Verse 16, and they all answered Joshua. This is the 1.799999999. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Did they do it? No. No. In fact, as we walk through Joshua, we'll see they they didn't. (laughs) They abandoned him several times and they abandoned him quickly. Is God asking you to be perfect? Absolutely not. God's asking you to walk into what he's already prepared for you to do. God's asking you to walk into what he's already prepared for you. God's going before you. He's asking you to become what he's already declared that who you are. There's nothing about this text that declares, hey, work harder, white knuckle your faith. The Bible doesn't prescribe that to any of us. But neither does it say, Trust Jesus and sit on your hands for 40 years. There are three things this text put before us. The first is calling. Do you believe what God has said? Do you believe what Jesus Christ has declared and do you believe it to be true about you? And if you don't, there's some good homework for you to work on. Are you alignment? Are you regularly seeking him, spending time in his word and meditating on it? Doesn't say you have to do it for like two and a half hours a day, but maybe a minute, maybe three minutes, maybe five minutes, whatever that looks like. I have an app on my phone and I listen to it while I drive. That counts. Like it doesn't have to be this pronounced all in, let's just start saturating ourselves in God's word. Because God has a spiritual fight for us. And if we're not prepared for it, we're going to get creamed. That's the book of Joshua. He wants you to walk into what he's already given you. He wants you to obey and walk into what he's already given you. Let me pray for us. Father, as I look at your word, I consider all that you have for us in this book of Joshua. It is evident. Father, you're calling us to something more. You never desired us just to be a people who would claim your name once. You never desired us to be a people who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then live totally according to the world. You never called us to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and then to not engage in the spiritual battle that's going on around us. Now you called us into a faith where we should believe what you've said is true, step out into it, and engage a spiritual battle that'll be long, that'll be hard, that'll be costly, and that you've already won. Will you give us the strength and the courage? Because I lack it. 
Will you give us the strength and the courage to be intentional about stepping into your word, about trusting your promises, about believing what you say? Will you allow us to be strong and courageous about that this week? Father, that as we take steps forward in this series, you'd begin to consecrate us, that we'd be a people set apart to know you, to know your word, and to accomplish all that you have for us. God, we praise you for your word that encourages us and exhorts us. In your name we pray. Amen.